All right, all right. Why don't you guys go ahead and grab a seat? Go ahead and grab that seat. Flourishing Grace, you guys doing okay? A few of you are doing all right. Man, you got an extra hour of sleep this morning, which is awesome. A little extra warmth. It's been pretty, pretty cold at 9 a.m. Man, my name is Josh Knight. For those of you who are new, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, I just want to say welcome if you are new. Uh, when you came in, hopefully you saw it on the signs Brett announced at the beginning of our time together. Um, if you text in to 97000, that's the number, 97000, so there's three zeros. If you text in, in the body of the text, FGC, FGC Outdoor, all one word, FGC Outdoor, you'll receive, uh, that's how you get the lyrics for our gathering in the park. So if all the songs we're singing, the lyrics are on there. There's a link to that. You'll receive a, a link to a, a digital connection card that we fill out every single week. Doesn't matter if you're brand new, you've been coming for a long time. On that connection card, um, a couple of important things. Number one, there's a place for prayer requests. Um, and we want to be praying with each other every single week. And so whatever you are praying for this week, I mean, we want to be praying with you. And so let us pray with you this week. Uh, I know there's a lot of things going on. We've been joking about it um, and crying about it. And 2020 has just been a, a mess. And so there are people in your life that need prayer. And so we would love to be praying uh, with you this week for, for them. Or maybe it's for you. We'd love to be praying for you this week as well. So make sure you share a prayer request with us. Uh, if you are brand new and you fill that out, we have a little Starbucks gift card we'd like to send you in the mail just saying, hey, thanks for, thanks for being our guest this morning. No strings attached. Just thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us this morning. Um, and so make sure you fill that out. And then um, re real quick, uh, so today after our gathering, uh, we have a food truck in the back. Uh, we have some delicious tacos for you guys. Uh, we have a bunch of games that we're going to set out and play. And so uh, feel free to kind of hang out uh, today as long as you would like. But let me encourage you in this. Uh, families with kids, don't be shy, right? As soon as, soon as our gathering's over, head back, get your kids some food, um, and we're, we're going to be hanging out. We also have the 2020 Egg Toss Championship, which is a big deal around here at Flourishing Grace because nobody's ever beat me uh, at the Egg Toss Championship. Okay, that's not true. I've never won. Um, but one day, one day I will. Uh, every year we have an Egg Toss Championship. We're going we're gonna to have that this year. And there's, there's an, a major award that comes with that. And so you want to make sure that you participate in that after our gathering today. Make sense? Are you guys, are you guys in the back? Can you hear me? Do we know what's going on? Okay, just making sure, making sure. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to receive a digital offering. Uh, offering here at Flourishing Grace is for those of us who call this place home. Uh, if you came on the arm of a friend, you're brand new, don't, don't worry about this. But for the rest of us, you guys can go to flourishinggrace.org slash give, or you can open up the Church Center app and you can give on there uh, to, man, just to continue to encourage this, that we can continue to gather together as a church family, um, and as we get ready to kind of regather in our building, uh, man, we, we need to, to continue to fund what God is putting in front of us. And so let me do this. Let me pray for our offering. We'll receive it, and we'll get into the Word together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We have, we have sung the gospel over one another. We have declared your worth and your beauty, your might and your power. We have, we've confessed our brokenness and declared our need for a Savior. We've tuned our hearts 
to our first love. Jesus, would you fill us now? Would we be in awe of you? Would our hearts beat for you? Would we long for more of you? Would we listen intently now for your voice? And would you speak to us? As we open your word, I know that every time we open your word, you have a word for us. So would you reveal that to us now? I pray for flourishing grace. I, I pray that as we, as we kind of navigate our, the end of our time here in the park and as we kind of look to, this, to the seasons changing and realizing, man, we can't do this for much longer, would you give us wisdom on how to, on how to kind of regather in, indoors safely? Would you maintain this, the strength of your church? I, I praise you for what you're doing in our midst. And I pray that you would continue to do that. Praise you for this beautiful day. Praise you for this beautiful gathering with these people that you love so much. Would you bless this time as we open your word? I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, friends, let's go. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up to Matthew 19. We're going to bounce around a little bit this morning, but uh, Matthew 19 is going to be the first place uh, that we go. And they say, they say that history repeats itself. And, and I hope that's true. In 1857, 1857, the nation was in complete disarray. It was completely polarized, both politically and religiously, over the issue of slavery. On the brink of financial collapse, the economy was in ruins. Rumors of civil war between the North and the South were growing louder and louder. And little did they know that this would come to be a reality in just three short years. In three short years, the nation would be at war with itself. Meanwhile, in New York City, a Dutch Reformed church got a new building. But they didn't want to sell their old building because it was in a prime location. It just wasn't big enough for them anymore. But it was a sweet spot. So they hired a guy named Joseph Lanfear, just a random guy, not a, not a trained pastor, just a layman, to kind of oversee their old building, to say, hey, Joseph, what should we do with this space? And Joseph began to walk the city streets, and as he walked the streets, he saw New York City businessmen going to work every single day with kind of distraught looks on their faces, knowing that the economy was collapsing around them, knowing that they're probably going to lose their jobs and lose everything that they had. And so Joseph's land fear began a small prayer gathering. He began to pray for these businessmen, and he invited them to gather with him at noon for prayer. He spread the word throughout the streets. And on that first day, the first day, when they gathered for, at noon for prayer, five people showed up. But he didn't give up. He did it again. And 20 showed up. He didn't give up. Did it again. And 40, then 60, then 100. And within 18 months, within 18 months, I'm sorry, within three months, 
Within three months of him just faithfully saying, we're going to gather for prayer, over 100 prayer meetings in different locations throughout New York City had begun, and over 50,000 men, these were businessmen in New York City in the late 1800s, were gathering together for prayer. And within 18 months, less than two years, over a million people had given their life to Christ. In less than... In less than two years, over a million people had given their lives to Christ. In our day, in our population, that would be about 10 million people. And not, not only that, but another million, this broke out, the same revival broke out in Great Britain, and another million in Great Britain gave their life to Christ. Not, not only that, but as a result of all these people giving their lives to Christ, missionaries were sent out from New York around the world and began missionary movements. Places like China and India and millions more were saved. This is an amazing, amazing event. This was known as the Fulton Street Revival. And though it happened over 150 years ago, over 150 years ago, it is the most recent Great Awakening in the United States of America. That's what we got. That's, that's the one. Over 150 years ago. And I said that I hope history repeats itself because right now we are at such a time of a divided nation, divided over politics, divided over so many things. There's a global pandemic, a divided church, racism and rioting, wildfires and windstorms. I wonder if history might be ready to repeat itself. It's important to remember that Joseph Landfear was not a pastor. He's not some trained theologian. He didn't go to seminary. Just a normal guy who prayed and organized some prayer gatherings. Just a man who began to contend. Just a guy who began to contend. And last week we began this new series on contending prayer. Contending prayer. I said, man, there's this time, there's times when, when man, God begins to kind of stir us to a different type of prayer. I, I talked about how, man, it, in, in the army, when you have soldiers and they're just in the barracks, they're hanging out, they're playing Xbox. That's one kind of conversation. Probably not the cleanest kind of conversation. That's one kind of conversation. But when those same Soldiers are on the field of battle and the bullets start flying. That's a different kind of conversation. And there are times when God begins to stir our hearts to a different kind of conversation, a different type of prayer, a prayer of contending. The great theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones, who we quoted a lot when we were walking through the Sermon on the Mount together, feels like a forever ago. He said this, in moments... In the moments of the Spirit, when the Spirit moves, the first thing that happens, and which eventually leads to great revival, the first thing that happens is that one man or a group of men and women suddenly begin to feel this burden. And they feel the burden so much that they are led to do something about it. They're led 
to contend. And last week, we acknowledged this truth that yes, that there is this burden that is being laid upon some of us. Not everybody here is feeling this, but I mean, I have been feeling this. Something has got to change. When the, when the world takes to the streets to riot, the church must take, must take to its knees in prayer. Something has got to change. Something's got to move. We've, we've got to be a people who move. We've got to do something about it. The church must begin to contend in prayer. And yet we acknowledged last week that for many of us, we're like, no, no, no. There's too much. Do you realize how much I got going on? I can't add one more thing. I can't do one more thing. It's 2020. There's just too many things happening. And so last week we talked about this idea that maybe the best thing you can do, the best thing you can do right now is to begin to contend for yourself. We talked about that passage where uh, Paul begins to say, man, we contend for ourselves. And we give four things, right? God, would you restore me? God, would you strengthen me? God, would you confirm me? God, would you establish me? We begin to pray that prayer ourselves. Now, some of you, maybe you weren't here last week, but you're like, yes, that's what I need. I need to be restored. I need to be strengthened. I need to be confirmed. I need to be established. Go back and listen to last week so that you can be ready for what comes next. This morning, I want to talk about contending for one. Contending for one. At Flourishing Grace, we have this we have this saying, praying for one, in our building, uh, in the auditorium, if you've never been to our space, but in the auditorium, there's a whole wall. It says praying for one, and there's a there's hundred names on it. People in your life that don't know Jesus yet. I want to ask you a question this morning. Two questions. Number one, how, how many of you can think of somebody in your life that lives here in, in Utah, that lives near you, Maybe they're a family member, maybe they're a friend, a coworker, and they don't know Jesus yet. How many of you can think of somebody, right? Can you think of anybody? A few of you are raising your hand, a few of you aren't. Think of somebody, your next door neighbor. Let's just take a stab in the dark. How, how many of you know somebody in your life that does not know Jesus yet? That if, if, if Christ were to come tomorrow, then they would not enter into his eternal glory. If they were to die tomorrow, I mean, there, there's, no, there's no eternal hope for them. Do you, do you know a person like that? That maybe God has laid on your heart. And what if, what if their salvation was dependent on your contending? Would you pray more? If that person, the person that you love, maybe, maybe if, you're, if, you're, if your spouse's salvation was dependent on your contending, would you pray more? If your kids or your parents' salvation was dependent on your contending, would you pray more? If that person in your office or that person in your neighborhood was dependent on your contending, would you begin to contend? Would you contend for them? This morning... I want to show you that salvation is absolutely dependent on contending prayer. Salvation is absolutely dependent on contending prayer. Let's go. Matthew 19, 25 is where we're going to pick it up. I said we're going to bounce around a little bit, but here's where we're going to start. This is a famous text. Most of you have probably heard it before. Um, in Matthew 19, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Jesus, of course, as most of you probably know, says to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except for God alone. But then Jesus goes on to say, well, you know the commandments. You, you, you're a rich young ruler. You're, you're a sharp young Jewish lad. You've, you've memorized the law. You know the commandments, right? Do not murder. Do not steal. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler turns to Jesus and says, I have done all of these since I was a little boy. Since I was a little kid, I have kept the law. My life has been devoted to those things. And then Jesus looks at him with love in his heart. He says, there's one thing you lack. One thing. Go home. Sell everything you got. Give the proceeds to the needy. Give the proceeds to the needy. And come and follow me. You know the story. The rich young ruler goes away sad because he had much wealth. Couldn't do it. And most of you know that part of the story, but what you might not know is what comes next. Jesus, after this kind of profound moment, right, he says, he says to his disciples, he turns to his disciples, he says, let's debrief. Let's, let's talk about what just happened. Let, let's, let, let's use this as a teaching moment. So he turns to his disciples, and here's what transpires in, in verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And what they heard was this. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, it is easier, it's a kind of the famous line, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples are greatly astonished and they ask this question, who then can be saved? Who, who can make it? You see, what the disciples realize instantly is that this is not just about wealth. For some people, it's wealth. But what they realize is that what, what the rich man lacked is something that every single person lacks. There's something in your life that you care about deeply. There's some idol that we all hold on to that when, it's come, when a push comes to shove, when you choose to give all authority in your life, relinquish all control of your life, to lay everything down, to sell everything and come follow after Jesus. I mean, who can actually, who can actually do that? Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. You're right. It's not possible. You can't do it. You can't be saved. With man, this is impossible. But, but with God, all things are possible. I want to give you two things this morning. Just two things, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. We'll go eat some tacos, okay? The first thing is this. We must we must awaken ourselves to our own hopelessness. We must remember that if it's up to us, it is impossible. If it's up to you, it's impossible. If the salvation of your one is up to you, they are without hope. Zero hope. If the salvation of your spouse is up to you, hopeless. If the salvation of your kids is up to you, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. If the salvation of your friend is up to you, it's, it's just not, there, there's no hope there. There's no hope for them. If your salvation is up to you, it's hopeless. Without God, it is impossible. With man, it's impossible. And I think we've lost sight of this, especially in America. I picked on America a lot last week. I love America. But listen, the church has jacked a lot of things up in America. And I think we've lost sight of this. I think at some point we began to believe that we could do this on our own. In our American church, we've found formulas and strategies and programs 
and all kinds of things, curriculums to draw massive crowds. And yet the church is struggling. It's spiritually dead. Christians are not in love with Jesus. Christians, I'm not, I'm not people who don't love Jesus. I'm about people who, who go to church every single week. They're, they're not in love with Jesus. They're not in love with his word. They don't love his voice. They're not living on their knees in prayer every day. Those things do not describe the American church. Big? Yes. Rich? Yes. Powerful? Yes. Spiritually awake? No. No. We have begun to believe that if we just play the right music, if we just hire the right preacher, if we just get the right children's curriculum, if we just kind of get the right Bible study, man, we can do it on our own because we can draw great crowds. But with man, it's impossible. Have we grown too confident and proud in our ability to produce growth that we've lost our awareness of our helplessness? Have we lost our awareness of our own helplessness? Or has God, as Mary says in Luke 1 in this profound song, has he scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts? Has he actually given us what we want? Big crowds, lots of money, lots of power. No actual spiritual awakening. No actual surrender. He's given us what we want. With man, this is impossible. All of our salvation, all of it, 100%, is dependent on the work of God. We would never, we would never, you would never think of turning to God if God did not first put the thought in your heart. You wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have done it. Look at our, look at our foolishness. Look at my foolishness. Every day, every day I'm turning to things that I think are going to fulfill me. If I just got this, if I could just accomplish that, if I could just get this done, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I could rest. All of these little idols, all of these lesser glories, things that we're constantly chasing after, things that we're constantly pursuing, you would have never turned to God unless God put it in your heart to turn to him. You'd have never done it. The evidence is clear. Brett and I were just joking this morning. We were just talking about how beautiful it is out here. And then we were just kind of joking about how people ruin everything. It's true. We want to go to the woods and get away from everybody where there's just peace and quiet. Listen, we are not that good. We're not that good. We would have never chosen God on our own. Not only that, but today, today you would not have chosen to come here. You would not have chosen to pursue Christ if it was up to you. Not only is our salvation up to him, but the sustaining of that salvation is up to him. Every hour of every day, if we are upheld, we are upheld by the arms of God, not under our own power, but under his. Every hour of every day, every good thing comes from him. Not only were we saved by Christ and Christ alone, but we are sustained by Christ and Christ alone. And how does Christ teach us to sustain one another? How does Christ teach us to sustain one another? Bible studies? No. Better preaching? No. Better music? No. More programs? No. 
I want to take you to another famous passage. This is Luke 22. Jesus is going to foretell Peter's denial of him, right? Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. And here's what Jesus says to Peter. He looks right at him. He says this. He says, Simon, Simon, right? Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but, but I. He demanded to have you. What's Christ going to do? He's the king of kings. Going to send down lightning from heaven and strike down Satan. No, that's not what he does. What's Christ going to do? Satan demanded to have Peter, who Jesus loves, his disciple, his disciple of Christ. What is he going to do? Satan demands to have him. Jesus is the Lord of lords. He's going to say, no. That's not what he does. Jesus is going to stomp him out. Nope, that's not what he does. Satan demanded to have you, Peter. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus sees Satan come after Peter and he prays for Peter. He prays for him. You see, Jesus knows that when God answers our prayers, there is saving and sustaining power because he, as Jesus says in Luke 10, he's Lord of the harvest. It's all on him. Every ounce of our salvation and every ounce of our sustaining is on him. The great theologian and author J.I. Packer, who just passed away in his amazing book, uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer writes this. He says, every good thing will come, if it comes at all, as a gift from his hands. Every good thing will come, if it comes at all, as a gift from his hands. We must be a people who pray. John Wesley, the great revivalist, said this. He says, God does nothing. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Now, that might, that might be broad. God for sure does a lot of things that have nothing to do with you and me. But what Wesley is saying is this. When it comes to salvation, we're dependent on him. You see, what they're trying to communicate, the simple point is this, contending is crucial. We can't sit idly by and hope and hope that our one will come to know Jesus. It ain't going to work that way. It's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for them to find their way to God on their own or to be convinced of his saving grace by you. It's not going to happen. We can't white-knuckle them to salvation. You can't get the camel through the eye of the needle. We must begin to contend that God would do what only God can do. So number one, we must live awakened to our own helplessness when it comes to the salvation of the people that we love in life. You're helpless. You are desperate upon God to move. And then point two, number two, here it is. We must begin to contend for them. We must begin to contend for them. Paul writes it this way in Romans 10.1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer before God, my heart's desire and my prayer before God for them is that they may be saved. Here's what Paul says. He says, yes, my heart beats for them. God has placed them on my heart. My heart's desire is that they would be saved. But Paul knows that's not enough. I can't just wish them to be saved. That's not how it works. My heart's desire and my prayer before God 
is that they would be saved. Talking about the nation of Israel. God has put the name on your heart. And that name all, must also become your prayer. Desire's not enough. There's somebody in your life that God has placed on your heart. You did not place that there. You gotta, wait, you gotta awaken yourself to that. You didn't place that name there. That person that you so long to have a relationship with Jesus, that longing was not placed there by you. God is calling you to contend. He's calling you to a different type of communication, a different type of prayer, to get on your knees and begin to contend for that person. Desire is not enough. If you do not have somebody, someone in your life, who you are contending for daily through prayer, that they might know Jesus. Listen to me. If you don't do that, if you're not doing that for that person, there's somebody in your life, you're like, man, I wish they would know Jesus, but you're not contending for them daily in prayer. Listen, you're, you're clearly, you're clearly, and I say this with love, you're clear, clearly falling short of the Great Commission. We know the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, Make disciples of all, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the age. Go, make disciples. But as we've already said, it's impossible. If it's up to you, it's impossible. So if we are not on our knees, if we are not on our knees, then we're failing. It's convicting, but it's true. Maybe you've started an evangelistic Bible study in your office. That's amazing. Maybe there's a person in your life, a person in the neighborhood, a person at work that you're taking out to lunch every single week or once a month in order to kind of bring them along to share your faith with them. Maybe you're walking through the Gospel of John with them um, and you're pouring in their life. Maybe there's a family in your neighborhood that you said, man, we are going after these guys. We're making space in our life for the sake of the Gospel for this family. That's amazing. But if you are not contending for them, what hope do they have? If God does not show up, what hope do they have? What do you have to offer them? I'm not saying don't do those things. Yes. J.R. Packer's book is entitled Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. We need both. We must continue to do those things. But if you are not contending for them, what hope do they actually have? With man, this is impossible. Desire and effort have never saved anyone. Human desire and human effort have never saved anyone. All right, let's land the plane, eat some tacos. Who is the person in your life that you have said, I will contend for? What's their name? What, what's their name? Friends, let's not forget what's most important and what's eternal. It's a crazy time. Everything that's going on right now, it's nuts. It's easy to get distracted. And these things are important. COVID's important. It actually is. We're in the middle of a global pandemic and people are dying. We should be aware of that. It's important to think well about what's going on with the health of the people around us. But it's not most important. It's certainly not eternal. Racial injustice is critical 
It's so important. The church must speak into it. it. Listen, the world does not have a solution for it, but Jesus does. It's important. It's critical. But it's not most important. And it's certainly not internal. There is no racial injustice in heaven. Riots in the street are important. When the people take to the streets, the church must take to their knees. We said that earlier. We've got to know what's going on and, and what role have we played in creating that problem. And friends, I'll tell you, we have. We, we absolutely have. That's a sermon for another day. We must stop right there on that one. It's important, but it's temporary. The presidential election is important. You've been given the right to vote. That's an amazing right that we all take for granted. All of us. It is critical that we actually get outside of the echo chamber and begin to understand what's really going on. To really do our homework. It's important. Again, sermon for another day. But it's not most important. It's not eternal. Most of those presidents won't even be in heaven. It's all temporary. Don't let 2020 distract you from what is eternal and what is most important to God. Every great revival and spiritual awakening begins with contending prayer. Friends, we must live, we must live with an awareness of our helplessness and that helplessness must move us to contend for one. You're not going to save everybody. But man, if every day we get on our day, knees and we begin to pray for one, I, I don't think we can wrap our mind around the result. If one man in New York City over 18 months can lead a million people to Christ, I don't think you can begin to wrap your mind around the results. If you might say, I'm going to take, begin to take prayer seriously. I'm going to begin to rally the people in my life that love Jesus. We're going to get together. We're going to start contending in prayer. I don't think you can wrap your mind around the results. Might just change everything in our time. Let me pray for you guys. Father, we come before you. In this moment, every person here has somebody in their life that does not know you. Church, would you just lift them up right now? I just want to give you a minute right now to, to lift that person's name up to our God who, listen to me, has placed that name on your heart. Lift them up to our God who has placed that name on our heart because he, has, he already loves them. Desires to save them. Desires to awaken their hearts and their affections to himself. And he's waiting on you to contend for them. Would you lift them up right now?
Jesus, we have, we have sung it again and again and again already this morning. You're the only one that saves. Nothing but the blood. There, there is nothing. There is no other saving power in the universe than the blood of Christ. So Jesus, would you take these names that we've lifted up to you this morning and would you save them? Would you snatch them out of spiritual death and bring them into spiritual light? Would you rescue them? Would you redeem them? Would you transform their lives forever? And more importantly, would you transform eternity for them? Would you place eternity into their hearts? And would they be restless until they rest in you? Help us to contend every day until we see you do the thing that only you can do. I pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand and sing one last song together, friends.
Nourishing Grace. Hey, we love you guys. Thanks for hanging with us. We got food trucks in the back, some tacos. We got some long games we're bringing out. Uh, hang out with us as long as you'd like today. Um, man, have some fun. We'll see you guys next Sunday right here.